to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Masoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. This is Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. My pal Sarah Marshall is off with her family swimming and fishing up in Washington. We wish her and her fam the best, and we look forward to hanging out with her when she returns. We're glad that everyone's joined us today, and we're honoring our social distancing still. We're not in the studio. We're recording on Zoom, and we think it's important for us to be here with stories of hope for our listeners. Thanks for joining us, and we'll hear stories of female food entrepreneurs. I do have some food news today. I want to tell everybody about the American Cheese Society coming to Portland this week. It's one of my favorite meetings of the year. It's July 21st through the 23rd at the Oregon Convention Center. And I'll have to report more to you in our next show. But for now, I'll tell you that the theme of the convention is blazing the trail for cheese. The American Cheese Society is a leader in promoting and supported American cheeses, providing the cheese industry with educational resources and networking opportunities, while encouraging the highest standards of cheese making focused on safety and sustainability. If you want more information, please visit their website, www.cheesesociety.org. And I would say that this meeting does move around the country, so watch for it in your area and make sure and buy a ticket so you can attend next time. If any of our food friends out there have an announcement, please contact us through the website, submit it through startupradionetwork.com, or you can message us on Instagram at Masoni and Marshall. We'll help spread the news about any of your foods. I am not alone today. I do have a special guest with me, Sierra Thomas of Pink Clown Beverages, and I'm glad Glad that she's here. I want to um, welcome you. And um, let's start off by connecting our listeners to your company via social media and maybe your website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I've been looking forward to today. Uh, For those listening, you can find us online at pinkcloudbeverages.com, on social, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest at pinkcloudbeverages. And hopefully I'll get some content up on TikTok one of these days. <laughs> I mean, TikTok, that's a whole nother level of communications. You almost have your own studio for that. Yep, you got it. <laughs> Maybe you already have one. So where can people buy your products and how do they do that? Yeah, so we just launched Pink Cloud Beverages. And when I say we, it's me. I have to get used to just saying that. 
But um, we launched at the Good Food Mercantile at the end of April. And then we launched with the Portland Night Market. So right now I'm targeting local chefs in Portland. So you can find us at Chef Spencer's Cafe Rowan if you haven't been. It's quite amazing. Or you can find us with Chef Pascal, who does Dinner in the Field series, or Jola Cafe, Lark, Para. We're also sprinkled throughout town at some smaller neighborhood grocery stores, Ross Island Grocery, Barber Foods, uh, John's Marketplace, Hotel Lucia, just kind of throughout the Portland area, places that I love and frequent. That's nice to know. And can people order online as well? Of course. And they can order directly from us at pinkcloudbeverages.com too. Okay. Well, what's the biggest order you filled to date? So biggest order I filled today is probably from a dispensary out of the Seattle area, oh. um, uh, which was pretty exciting. And we have one that I can't announce quite yet, but I'm oh. very excited in August to share some news where people will be able to purchase Pink Cloud at multiple locations throughout Oregon and Vancouver area. Okay. Well, I'm sure everyone's wondering, as am I, tell us. <laughs> How did you get started in making a CBD beverage? Yeah, it's a it's a fun and very personal story. And not at all times was it fun. But um, the story behind it all is back in 2010, I quit drinking and I was working in the media and music industry. And for those who have seen Mad Men, that's a very good description of what that industry looked like. Um, and it was a very fast paced world and to become sober and quit drinking in media and advertising was quite the challenge back then. There weren't these amazing non-alcoholic beers or functional beverages or CBD even at that moment. So I kind of joke around with my husband. I was like, man, I should have waited a couple of years to get sober (laughs) when it was trendy. But all jokes aside, um, I was working in a very fast paced world with lots of temptations And I just got really tired of letting my wellness take a back seat. And it was really hard because my, you know, personality was tied to entertaining, whether it was clients or special concerts or events or even record labels. So I had a lot of anxiety about what to order at the bar. And at that time, there weren't options. So it wasn't as inclusive. And fast forward to a few years later, um, I went to school and graduated on the islands of Oahu in Hawaii. And I reason I mentioned that is my best friend to this day, born and raised on North Shore, called me and she's like, Sierra, I know you're losing sleep at night. I know this is really hard for you to separate your previous persona to, you know, your true character and sobriety. She's like, have you thought about CBD or, you know, broad spectrum hemp? And To be totally transparent, I grew up in the dare-free class of, you know, 2000 smoke-free class. I grew up watching the commercials. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs with the egg frying in the pan. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've seen those too. Who hasn't? (laughs) So it was a big stigma for me to get over. Like, is CB something that I can do in recovery? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, I waited a long time before I tried it, um, I look back and regret that, but it was a lot of self-education, understanding that it's non-addictive, that it's not intoxicating the different Mm -hmm. types. Yeah. And um, finally, I did decide to try CBD and, you know, it really, really was a game changer for me. Um, Less anxiety, less sleeping. At first, I kind of thought it was placebo and I was like, whatever, if it's placebo, I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Yeah. 
but then um my husband or well, boyfriend at the time brian mentioned to me one day you know after a couple weeks or even months of using it and he goes man the little things that used to really like hype you up or bother you just kind of oh. roll off your back now and that's that's when i knew it was working and it wasn't placebo yeah. noticing it and front. so it took a little while for that to have an effect on you and make you feel more even yeah it really yeah. for me it um like i said it wasn't about what I was feeling, it kind of was about what I didn't feel. So yeah. I wasn't feeling yeah. anxiety yeah. or I wasn't, you know, I was, wasn't as foggy anymore. I didn't have, I used it a lot too, um, topicals because back when I used to work out more frequently, like hood to coast and things, I would use it for like recovery or inflammation. Mm-hmm. So it was really about the things that I wasn't feeling anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of acknowledgement from people in my social circles that they could see and, you know, notice a difference. That's really cool. So you decided to start the beverage company. How did you, did you mix something up in your kitchen and go, oh, this tastes good. I'm going to put it in a bottle. (laughs) I wish Sarah, (laughs) Um, that would be wonderful to happen that way. But no, um, it happened. uh, My husband and I were driving back from Bend from a New Year's Eve, you know, celebration with friends, which is always Mm -hmm. a hard, you know, time of the year for me with people celebrating and, you know, different options. And I had packed, you know, my cooler with all my CBD beverages, a lot of great local ones and mm-hmm. mixers. And I'd always gotten CBD beverages in stores, but I'd always end up mixing them and making these like unique mocktails with different flavor profiles. And so we were driving home and Brian looked at me and he goes, you know, you spend so much money on CBD and all these mocktails and ingredients. He's like, why don't you just make your own? Oh, <laughs> and I so laughed was at him. Who was his idea. <laughs> Not necessarily, but um, he definitely gave me the push because I laughed. I was like, I'm in sales and marketing. I have no knowledge as far as recipe formulation, bricks, pH, all that stuff. I didn't even know what it was at that time. Yeah, but now you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Self-taught and lots of mistakes and Mm -hmm. lots of learning and conversations. But at that time, I mean, it was all foreign to me. But, you know we had a long drive home and it was spinning in my head. And that's kind of the day where I said, okay, that's when pink cloud beverages truly was born. Okay. And let's talk about pink cloud because that's an interesting name. I see you have a pink t-shirt on is pink, your favorite color. Is that (laughs) why you chose pink cloud or is there another reason? No, there's definitely a reason behind it. Thanks for asking. Um, Aqua is actually my favorite color. (laughs) Teal. That's a good color too. I love it. Um, Beaches, but pink cloud is a term for those in sobriety. That's uh, early on. And it's within like, you know, the first couple of months of your sobriety, when things start like clearing up and you have these moments of, I don't know how you describe it, like elation, euphoria, you're just more present. Um, I think the best way to describe it was you know, the first couple of weeks are really rough because you're detoxing and you have all these things going on. But I was driving one day to meet a client and it was, you know, 530 in the morning. I'm not a morning person to start off with. Okay. (laughs) And now I am, (laughs) but I was driving downtown Portland and it was just this beautiful sunrise, beautiful day, great song on in my car. And I just was present and I just felt good. Like everything, the saying, like looking through like rose colored glasses, that's yeah. how I felt. And so um, pink cloud is a terminal terminology that's used in sobriety earlier on about moments of elation and euphoria. Okay. Sometimes it's, you know, quick to last and quick to get over. But I wanted to create those moments for people, whether they're sober, whether they're sober curious or 
whether they're not, and they just want to be present in the moment. And so that's how the name came about. Actually just brought up the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Can you tell us what is Sober Curious? Yeah. So Sober Curious, um, you'll hear it a lot. Uh, a lady uh, named Ruby is the one I think that termed it. But Sober Curious is when you're not quite ready to quit drinking. Um, you're kind of interested in living a more, you know, wellness, both mind and body type lifestyle. Um, there's also another term called damp lifestyle where you're not completely drinking, but you're taking breaks. It's probably my husband. <laughs> and um, I think the pandemic really kind of catapulted that forward because, okay. you know, we're working it from home and we're a lot more isolated or some of us where I was in particular, just, you know, with my beliefs and family. And so you kind of start reanalyzing your relationship with alcohol and, you know, start lessening up, if you will. I see. I think being in a pink cloud and being sober curious sounds better than being damp. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you should use that term. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, I heard a lady on Adweek um, recently did a podcast and she was talking about when she was sober curious and she's like, and now I'm living what they call the damp lifestyle. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound enticing. Who wants to be no, damp? Be in enough rain. <laughs> that doesn't sound good at all. So... So how does Pink Cloud make you feel? Yeah. So, I mean, um, it's not necessarily about, like I said, about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Okay. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, medically you can't share. But in my experience, it's definitely helped with my sleeping um, okay. and different cannabinoids outside of CBD, like CBN or CBG, but specifically CBD as well. Um, it's helped me with anxiety. Uh, it's helped my mom with a lot of arthritis pain. Wow. Uh, there's been studies. There's like, there's been studies where it's helped with, uh, seizures of kids where it's like dramatically changed like their life. And I wish yeah. that there would be more scientific studies around that. I think I've read about that too. Yeah. That's I think amazing. it was, um, Charlotte's web maybe, but there's, I mean, there's so many stories. That's the great thing about kind of creating this is, being out in the market and hearing how it's impacted people. I mean, that's the best part about it or people so, that are wondering. So for people who don't know, can you just talk about CBD and then tell us what the difference between CBD and THC are? Are they the same thing? Absolutely not. And I'm more than happy to share on it because these okay. were stigmas that I had in the beginning and why I waited so long. So there's three different types of CBD and not to get super geeky, I'll try to keep it more broad, but there's isolate, broad spectrum, and full spectrum. So in Pink Cloud Beverages, we use broad spectrum. Isolate is where they remove all of the THC and it's just CBD. Mm -hmm. Whereas broad spectrum, um, which we use, they open up to use more of the plant, more of the terpenes. You get more of the entourage effect where it's working within your systems to be activated better. And then there's full spectrum, which even uses more of the plant but will still fall under that 0.3%, which is in regulation to the farm bill of THC. So okay. they're non-addictive. They're non-intoxicating. Personally, in my experience, I really prefer broad spectrum or full spectrum. I don't get as much of the benefits from using isolate, but it's also a challenge because when you're dealing with R&D, like as you know, like, and you asked, did I just create it? And it was great. And I bottled it. No, it was 
a lot of mistakes and a lot of really horrible recipes in the beginning. (laughs) That's the hard part. I mean, that's just like learning to ski or something. You got to fall down a few times before you hit the perfect slope or, you know, the perfect product. Yeah. So you mentioned terpenes. What are terpenes? So terpenes is more of the plant that can have different flavors or smells or benefits. And so when you're looking at what type of CBD, whether it's isolate, broad spectrum or full spectrum, you can literally break it down. And I always tell consumers too, for transparency reasons, look at the lab testing, look, look and see what terpenes are involved, what levels, you know, of CBD, CBD, CBG. So you really understand what you're putting into your body. Um, If there's a company that's not sharing that, I wouldn't use them. Um, It's very important in today's uh, day and age because this industry still isn't as heavily governed as where THC would be, where it's intoxicating, where it's going to get you stoned, where you're going to feel high. There's different types of strains. Um, In Oregon, how it's laid out is CBD goes through the Oregon Department of Agriculture and hemp, anything under 0.3%, whether where it's THC, then you're going to go through the OLCC and you're going to get in dispensaries. And so that's like some of the main differences, I would say. Okay. And can you tell us where is this product, Pink Cloud Beverage, made? Is it made in Oregon? Yep, it's made in Oregon. So it started off, and I probably should kind of rewind to the trials and tribulations and errors. But um, I started off with just like juicing in my house and mixing different flavor profiles. Um, The hardest thing for me Mm. uh, was finding the right broad spectrum hemp that acted as an ingredient and didn't overpower the flavors. Um, there are so many wonderful, I mean, Oregon's like the Mecca for growing cannabis. Mm -hmm. We're very fortunate in that, um, aspect. And there's wonderful local brands like East Fork cultivars is one. I use their tinctures and they have the hemp bar and there's, you know, other ones like source is the partner that we use. And, um, the reason why we chose them was because of the way that they incorporated into my formula and recipe, where it didn't change the flavor and they did oh, okay. a lot of studies around efficacy and making sure the right dosage. Cause that was really important to me too. Okay. So you found a good partner, which brings me to my next question. I understand that you can't actually make these extracts and make a food product. Is that true? So there's a lot of regulations and things are constantly changing. I would say mm-hmm. that that is part of the biggest compliance and it's kind of governed state by state right now. So as long as it's not an adulterant beverage, um, you can incorporate it where an organ it's not. So it's kind of, you have to look at state by state and their regulations um, to make sure that you're following the right protocol until FDA legalizes everything. So are you filling the bottles yourself or is somebody else doing that for you? I forgot to answer that. Thanks. <laughs> so after we um, completed the recipe, I have a co-packer that I work with in Clackamas, Oregon, who's been nice. amazing. And so I order all my ingredients. I have them delivered straight to either myself or the co-packer. And then I work with them on my base or batch. And then they put it in their tanks to, you know, add it with the filtered water, carbonate it. And then we move it to a mobile canning line, which then we tunnel pasteurize after since we're using real fruits and purees. That's great. So you have a fairly long shelf life, I imagine. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think it dates back to like the Odwalla example. And I can't remember the year with really getting firm, which I appreciate on processing and yeah. kill steps. 
that's the thing when you're making a food or beverage, you're responsible for everyone who drinks it and you want to make sure that it's safe. Right. Yeah. And I don't take that lightly because I mean, for me, it's very, very important, obviously the safety and use. I'd want to create a product that anyone in my family could drink and I would feel confident about, but also, you know, you make concessions like the tunnel pasteurizing, you know, kind of changes the fruit flavors. And so yeah, it does a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what has been the most challenging part of starting this beverage company for you and your husband? Whew. That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's like up and down constantly. I would say the challenging part is just really the education and compliance factor and um, really staying on top of that. That's been huge. Production has been a very, very um, vital learning process for me. Mm -hmm. Taking something that you make in your kitchen and carbonate yourself and bath pasteurize to scaling it to do these large runs it's challenging. <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I won't sugarcoat it. I've learned a lot from. Did you drink all the mistakes so you didn't have to throw it away? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great question. Oh my God. I love it. So I met this amazing person in the industry. That's what I love is all the collaboration. Cause with the purees, I have my problem child, which is this one, my uh, lounge chair, Lilacoy, cause I only use purees. Yeah. And so you naturally have sediment. So you get to a point where you don't want your drink to be, you know, really heavy or thick. Yes. And I was like, I can't waste all that goodness. And it just would kill me. And so I was talking to this, you know, person in the industry who owns a water cooker company. And she said, well, can it and use it for mixers. And I was like, you're genius. So now, like, I mean, I don't sell those, but I can them for personal use or for friends and family. And, you know, we use them for mixers. <laughs> that was a great suggestion. And we're going to just take a quick break. But when we come back, let's talk about all the delicious flavors you came up with. Sounds good. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we're back. Sierra, can you tell us what is your favorite flavor that you developed and tell us why? Oh man, everyone asks about my favorite flavor and it really depends on the day and mood. But I would Mm. say the one that I lean towards would be Lounge Chair Lilacoy. And the reason why that one's my favorite is because I shared earlier that I um, lived in Hawaii for a while and spent four years going to college on the islands. And I fell in love with this farm called Kahuku Farms on North Shore. And I'll never forget the first time I went in there, they have all the samples. It was pre-COVID days and they have Lilikoi. And I was like, what is this Lilikoi? It was most like tart, but amazing aromatic flavor that I'd ever had. Come to find out it's passion fruit. It's just ones in Hawaii that are grown and different on the outside. They're yellow versus purple. Mm-hmm. And so I would say my lounge chair Lilikoi probably the one that leads a race because it's nostalgic for me. It brings me back to the first time I was at Kahuku Farms on North Shore. It brings me back to living in Hawaii. Um, it's ironic because I was never a fan of um, guava and it's finished with pink guava, but for whatever yeah. reason, the right balance. Um, it just I, has a certain taste to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You have to get it right. So um, I would say that one, but you know, if I'm 
out on the water and our family's out a lot being in the Pacific Northwest, whether it's paddleboarding, camping, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. Then I tend to lean towards pining for paradise, which is our pineapple yuzu and lime. Okay. Just because it's um, very light. It's not as heavy of a mouthfeel because mm-hmm. it doesn't have purees. It's um, the real fruit juices. And so that one just goes down like water for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how many do you drink a day? Uh, it depends on the day. Like right now I'm out in Montana visiting my dad. So the stress level's down because I've built in child care and beautiful waters behind me. So I'd say like on vacation, I might have two a day back at home in the hustle and bustle and, you know, working and, you know, I probably increase my intake to sometimes four, sometimes five. <laughs> wow. So can they be a meal replacer? Is it a lot of calories or not really? No, I want to use it as a meal replacer. That was um one thing though that I was focused on was calorie intake because I want something that isn't not going to add to my daily calorie intake. Yeah. Really strong. And that's hard yeah. with juices because you know, that yeah. increases it. Right. So each of our beverages are 20 calories per can and they're 12 ounce sleep cans. Yep. That's so reasonable. Yeah. So you're like, not adding real sugar. So no. So that's a, another thing that um, kind of helps us differentiate ourselves is I'm really trying to be like the spindrift of the CBD world, aspiring for lofty goals, but um, real fruit juice. And I had to make the concession. I'm not using organic raw sugar or agave. Like I looked in because otherwise I'd bring it to like 55, 60 calories per can. Yeah. And I hate, hate stevia. No offense if any listeners like it, but for me, it like, I know some oh. of them are pretty good if you buy the really, really, really refined, but yeah. still it has a little taste to it. Yeah. A little bit of that taste. And, um, so what we did was, uh, I really actually kind of did a Hail Mary in the last minute and changed, but I had started off with agave and organic sugar with higher calorie count. And then, cause I liked monk fruit, but monk fruit can be a little bit bitter of an aftertaste. And mm-hmm. so we did a custom blend with a um, local company here in Oregon, where we, we took monk fruit with allulose and combined the two. Mm, and good choice. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with allulose or people aren't, it's um, derived from like figs and raisins and it doesn't metabolize the same way as a real sugar. Yeah. And so for people like my husband who tends to be on keto or diabetic, it's a good option. And it just... The two, for whatever reason, I feel like the allulose complemented the monk fruit and kind of wiped away some of that bitterness in my preference. But I'd have to agree with you. Those two things are pretty good together. Yeah, that's good. So you talked about, I think, two flavors. How many flavors do you have? So we launched with two. We have two others that we're waiting to launch, hopefully by dry January. Um, I think people will be a little bit excited to see a nod to the Pacific Northwest roots we have, but still incorporating some tropical flavors. Mm -hmm. We're working on some pretty exciting collaborations with some local makers that we will be able to announce early next year. So um, that's in the making right now. And yeah, just looking at different elements, convenience, packaging, some easy on the go items that you'll see for 2023. All right. And um, I do want to talk to you. I did look through your website, which I think is very nice. Did you design that all on your own or did you have somebody help you? Yeah. So this has been a full team effort. I'm a startup, so I'm real scrappy. So I've been utilizing some of my relationships and friendships from my previous world in the media industry. So 
I actually worked alongside my good friend as far as a creative director and developing the brand and the packaging and bringing that to life. And he's mm. in sobriety too. So that was an amazing journey. And he had lots mm. of patience with me and making minor changes throughout the year. And then on the website side of things, a previous client of mine um, who dealt in the uh, eco world with diamonds and had built a really what I thought was user-friendly Shopify site, he helped me uh, building out the back end to my site. And then I worked on a collaboration with a friend that was from Australia, but lived in Hawaii that does aerial photography with drones. Oh, cause you have some beautiful photography on your site. I'm Thank like, you. I, wow. can't, I can't take credit. Um, Adventures of Jess. She is an amazing Aussie with just a wicked eye of bringing these like very eye level surf moments to real life. Mm. Cool. And so who, if you had to say, who's the demographic um, that's using your product the most? Is it, a, is it a specific group of people or who do you think you're really reaching? So that's funny because, you know, you have in your mind when you're going to launch who that persona or that target audience that you're trying to Yeah, reach. sometimes it ends up being different, right? Yes, totally. <laughs> Maybe it's all old grandmas. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. Because like in the beginning, we had this like persona that I was going after. I mean, down to her name. It was Sloan. She was 34 years old. Yeah, you seem like you would have that kind of level of planning. <laughs> yeah, she was she was tech savvy, you know, liked all the farm to table, high-end restaurants, being in the know. Yeah. But then when we rolled it out, um, it really expanded on that. It's definitely female skewing, but I would say it's really that you know, 18 through 48 year old. Whereas before I would have said it was like really concentrating on 18 through 34. Mm. And we've had a lot of like male clientele too. So I, I mean, guys know. like pink and red and stuff too. <laughs> I mean, let's get real. Right? If, I, I totally... if I give my husband options, he'll always choose the pink or the red. I don't know why. <laughs> he likes food and beverage that are those colors. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you have all these, you know, built up ideas of who that target is. But I mean, we're just really listening to, you know, people at events and their feedback and kind of shaping the company based around, mm -hmm. you know, what they like, what they don't like, and trying to let them kind of take the lead in some aspects. That's really nice. That's cool. So I saw on your website that you have your values listed, which yeah. I think is really cool because I think a business that's values driven is, is a lot easier for a consumer to latch on to and believe in. Yeah. And so 1% um, for the planet. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm really, really excited about. It's hard being a startup. Um, <laughs> Cause like you said, and especially in this industry, there's not a lot of margin or markup, but mm -hmm. it's something that's a core value and very important to me. Yeah. I, grew, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I, I love the outdoors. My daughter grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We're on the beaches, we're paddle boarders. And um, when I was in school in Hawaii, uh, the Surfrider Foundation was something that was very close to my heart, whether it was doing beach cleanups or solve here in Oregon and the local chapter here. And at first I started off with Surfriders and I love them, but then I got some feedback before, you know, launching, you know, don't just do the Surfriders chapter in Oahu. Like let's focus on places in your backyard and where you live. And I really took that to heart. That was feedback that people had shared and so we chose 1% for the planet for multiple reasons. One is I'm a big believer on transparency 
and they hold you accountable. Um, at the end of the year, you have to show documentation of your revenue. You have to show documentation on the nonprofits you're giving back to. So the transparency was a huge factor. That's and then, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's very important um, to me. And then also just the network they have of nonprofits, or if there's a nonprofit that's not in their network, you can, you know, recommend them. So it doesn't limit me to just like a certain pool of nonprofits. I can really be focused and, you know, spread the love too. Hopefully as we grow and scale, we'll have more love to spread. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you just already mentioned your first, one of your first things that you list and it's really popular right now. And I think super important on all levels of, of our lives is being authentic Mm -hmm. and having transparent communication. I think, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about transparency and I think communication is one of the ways that we can really solve for that problem. I think I I'm tired of people like being in silos and, you know, keeping information from people and make them feel like they're, you know, not special and they can't know about something or telling people at the last minute and making, you know, making them feel like they didn't respond fast enough, but you're not actually sharing stuff in a timely manner. So how do you feel about all that stuff? I think people do that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. um, Some of the best advice I got earlier on, because it's all about, you know, the people that you learn from and listen and mentors. But I'll never forget uh, two guys that started a company in Oregon, Straightaway Mm. Cocktails, which happens to be an alcoholic beverage, which is so funny. I love Cy. Actually, we helped them develop that product here at the Food Innovation Center. Oh, no way. Oh, God. Yeah. We totally could have helped you with your beverage, but. They aren't letting us do CBD. I know. One of these days. One of these days. One of these days. I tell you. (laughs) Our whole life would change if we could do CBD at the Food Innovation Center. We would be so busy. So busy, especially in Oregon. Um, Yeah. But Cy was a great person that kind of also like pushed me and just hearing his stories and what he had done and his partner. I had a call with him because I was looking at co-packing and like, you know, where to go and facilities. And I just trust Cy immensely. And Me his too. Partner, his he's partner, a good person. He's such good people. And that's a great thing about this industry is mm-hmm. I come from an industry that wasn't collaborative as much or wasn't like people like, steal I, stuff from yes. you. <laughs> so I came into I it jaded. Yeah. <laughs> Super scary and kind of mean, actually, the way yeah. <clears throat> the food industry it doesn't seem to be that way no. to me. No. It's amazing. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the amount of people from like I mean, I talk about Cy, but like Carrie at Greater Goods or Juliana Driftwest, like all these people in different industries or in the same sector have been so open and collaborative Mm. and amazing. And like, it's really turned into like my previous job where you have these clients that turned into friends. It's the same thing. And it's like, everyone's here to raise each other up. And I love that. Yeah. (laughs) But um, yeah, so back to your question, Cy's partner said, you know, no one's ever on your timeline. Like, it's always, and he's like, you just have to like adjust and, you know, and it's hard starting a company in a pandemic with, you know, the supply issues and demand. You just, you have to learn to just keep trucking ahead and be patient and put out into the environment what you want to come back to you. And mm-hmm. I really feel strongly about karma and good energy. And if you put out a good product and you back it and you believe in it and you listen, hopefully yeah. good things follow. <laughs> yeah. Just keep working hard. And keep doing what you believe in and eventually it comes around. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that it a works. lot. 
Okay. Socially responsible. Yeah. What does that mean to you? So socially responsible. There's many aspects and I'm going to tell a story about people not sharing stuff um, <laughs> because I think this goes back to being socially responsible. Okay. Um, I grew up with, you know, a very hippie mother in the Pacific Northwest, composted everything, vegetarian. My mom did that too. <laughs> like kids Worked would have at the like, co-op so we totally. get cheaper cheese, all that. That's what yeah. that was. My mom baked her own bread. Exactly. Like I was like, sourdough was a trend way back when my mom led that. <laughs> I know. Never would have ever ate craft singles. We never had craft singles at our house. So this, like I was a child that would go to school and I would look at the other kids' lunches and I'd come home in kindergarten. My mom jokes around about this all the day, all the time. I go, mom, do you think I could maybe have a cookie or something in my lunch? Cause she would make me homemade fruit leather with the dehydrator. That's how she Yeah. Wrote. So, I mean, that was always instilled into me at a young age of what you're putting in your body. Um, and uh, I forgot where I was going with this, but oh, we were talking about socially responsible oh, yeah, and you yeah. had a story to tell me. Yes, the story. Thank you. So in the industry, like, you know, I didn't realize about just like the loss and just the sustainability issues around, you know, the beverage category. And so yeah. I shared earlier about, you know, using our purees as mixers, but one mm -hmm. of the most eye-opening experiences, and I kick myself and my husband's like, you just have to move forward. You just have to move forward, mm. but is with um, the labeling. So I was oh. all about aesthetics. And so I wanted these beautiful shrink sleeve cans, which are gorgeous. They are know? pretty. But no one tells you about the sustainability side of it. And like, oh, I did because the plastic. Or maybe it was a lack of knowledge on my end. So maybe it was my ignorance and I take responsibility for not digging in more. But I didn't realize as a consumer before entering this industry that those cans, I had to take off the labels to recycle them. And it was kind of like a hush hush thing. And then when you can't I can't get the 10 cents, right? If you don't have the UPC code on there. Yeah. And so it's like, there's all these elements to it. And mm -hmm. so for me, like it killed me and it, like really like hurt. And like, I didn't want my daughter to see that. Like we were, you know, mm. part of this, you know, that's the hard part. Like for when you yeah. start a business, you can't always do everything the way you want it. Yeah. Right. At the first. And I always say, don't make your package be a tomb. You want it to be a home, yeah. you know, like yeah. you want to start with a home, yeah. something that works. And then you can always change and yeah. improve as you go. And that, and that was a hard lesson for me in learning. Mm. And so now we're working and progressing towards moving towards digitally printed cans. There you, you go. Know, but that's a longer process too, because we have the 12 ounce sleep. So it's these things that you learn that you don't know until you're in it. Yeah. But, you know, big, big lesson. So for you, socially responsible would be if you had a totally recyclable can. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And like how we transport it, like we're working with like Beeline now to, you know, help on that aspect of things. So that's good. Electronic bikes. So yeah. So Beeline, tell everybody what Beeline is. Yeah. So I, I'm, I was just introduced to them recently, but essentially it's like a logistics delivery service where they use the electronic bikes to transport your food, beverage items to other retail locations that you wholesale with. And there's yeah. a big warehouse in central east side. Yep. yep. And so that's where you warehouse all your product. You have pallets so, there. Um, we're moving in that direction. So for oh, okay. our next one, we'll probably be in that direction. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Okay. So number three, break down barriers. <laughs> this is a personal one for me. It's just um I I mean, we're moving in that direction. There's been so much change, but I want my mission for this business is for everyone 
to have this inclusive community where they mm-hmm. have access to a premium, okay. non-alcoholic, functional beverage, whether they drink, whether they don't drink. Mm-hmm. I want to break through all those stigmas of people looking at you and wondering or asking why it should be part of the norm. And I want to create an environment where you can celebrate and just experience these joyous moments with a beverage and feel included. Oh, I need more of this beverage in my life. Okay. So (laughs) what, what do you mean by fan centric? Okay. So this comes back to my media day. So when I was working in in the music industry and I'll use Mm -hmm. a local example, 94, seven, still my favorite radio station to this day, the program director, Mark Hamilton always believed you built the station on the listeners. So really listening to your fans and the people that love your brand when there's challenges, when there's wins and growing and evolving that station around that. So when I say fan centric, I mean, we're in the early stages, but Mm. really listening to people when we're at the Portland night market, when we're at, you know, Vancouver night market, we're at wellness fairs and what's important to them on the sustainability side, what's important to them giving back, Mm -hmm. what's important to them for functional ingredients, flavor profiles, um, those things, I believe, if you stop thinking, I, 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 me, 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 and you start listening to the people that are enjoying your beverages or aren't enjoying it, that you can evolve your brand mm-hmm. by being fan-centric. So by being true to the consumer. Okay. So a lot of times they'll ask people, who is your biggest fan? Or if you had a celebrity as a spokesperson, who would that be? Oh man, my biggest fan would be my eight-year-old daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. Uh, Little Jojo thinks of all the content and ideas and she's like, mom, you should do this on social. You should do that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's pretty cute. So I would definitely say she's my biggest fan. Um, As far as a celebrity ambassador. Oh man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, Hmm. Have you sent it to Oprah or anybody like that yet? I, I haven't. Um, People do that, you know. I know, I should. <laughs> You're, you, you know. You never know. When um, you get back from vacation, maybe you can, that'll be a follow-up question. You'll have to let me know once I you will. figure it out. That's a hard one. <laughs> okay, so you have as your last value, embrace change and per- pursue diversity. Yeah. Um, kind of ties in with fan-centric, doesn't it? Oh, sorry. Can you repeat that? It cut out. It ties in with fan centric, doesn't it? It does. So, um, I mean, I think I've always been more of a progressive type and Mm -hmm. I aspire to be even more progressive and just not to like go dark or negative, but what's been going on our world today is extremely hard. It's extremely sad. It's challenging. It's frustrating. There's a lot of emotion without me getting too emotional about it, especially being a female. Yeah. And something that is so important to me is just leading by example and bringing my daughter up in a world where, I mean, the simple things, I mean, as far as love is love, you don't have, you might not be born in the gender that you are. I mean, there's so many things that I'm so blessed to have in our network of friends and our family that my daughter is growing up in a completely different environment than I grew up. One of my favorite moments um, during the pandemic was they, we were walking, we did nightly walks in the neighborhood and it was like our way of our family getting out and, you know, just being outside. Mm -hmm. 
And one of those nights, it was a little bit later. And I remember being like, man, it's past our bedtime. Like, we really shouldn't do the walk tonight. But I was like, ah, you know, screw it. Let's do it. So we walked outside and my daughter, Jolie's like, mom, what's all that noise? And we turned around and there was a Black Lives Movement march going through our neighborhood. Wow. It was just one of those moments where I was so Jolie's like, come on, mom. And she grabbed her stuff and we marched with everyone. She was on shoulders and she was chanting and whether it's just like the little things of change and adaption that is so important having those conversations that are uncomfortable and continuing them. And, you know, we talked to our daughter about everything and that's how we raised our daughter too. It makes them such better people. Yeah. The empathy and just like relatable and Mm -hmm. understanding challenges that aren't necessarily in her world, but that other people face and being able to, you know, somewhat identify or be empathetic towards that. There's a guy that went to the same high school I did in um, Portland that does these wonderful, wonderful books about these amazing topics. Mm. And it's, you know, a book about racism, a book about transgender, a book about all these subjects. One was a book about addiction. And so that's a great tool we use with my daughter to like start those dialogues and have those conversations. That's cool. Well, I want to ask you one last question. What are some last words of wisdom and some advice that you would like to give to our fellow food entrepreneurs? Oh man, advice and wisdom. Uh, Don't give up, follow what's important to you, stick true to that, have your North star or the things that you're not willing to sacrifice and make sure you tape that to your wall and you're always looking at it and let that, you know, guide you because the truer you are to yourself as a person and the brand and the product, no matter how long the journey takes, because it took me a very long time to get to where we are today, mm-hmm. it, it, it means a lot. And it and it, I believe people see that and it's translated through in your product, whether it's, you know, food, whether it's a drink, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. I really, truly feel that consumers can see that and feel it. That's good. Okay. Let's tell everybody again, what is your, um, what are your social media feeds? What's your website and where can they buy some of your, your beverages? Definitely. Um, so our website's pinkcloudbeverages.com. Social media is also Pink Cloud Beverages. And then you can find us throughout the greater Portland area in Vancouver at Hotel Lucia, John's Market, Barber Foods, uh, with Chef Pascal, Chef Spencer, Cafe Rowan, Jola Cafe. I don't want to leave people out. We're sprinkled all throughout Portland. I need to get a map on the website. There's not enough time in the day. (laughs) What if you like got your own vending machine and you put it somewhere and just filled it with your stuff? I love that Pix Patisserie did that. I know I'm saying that. She, I'm writing this down, Sarah. <laughs> did you listen to her show? You, no. She. We interviewed her, oh, I don't know, maybe a, in the last year or so. Okay. But you should listen to her, Kathy Wims. She, no, no, sorry, that's Nostrana. <laughs> I can't remember the lady. Okay, so Pix Patisserie. Yeah, no, I just went to her vending machine the other day and got like, oh, what did we get? We got some macaroons. She had some fun little chocolate eggs in there. Yeah, yeah. we get the chocolate eggs too. Yeah. That's how my husband won me over. He uh, got me all these desserts from Pick's Patisserie instead of just one. I was like, okay, you're the one. You got multiple choices. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Well, we've run out of time, so we're going to wrap it up. And I want to thank you for sharing your story with us today and the story of your company 
company. I really appreciate your time, Sierra. It was very nice to get to know you. We record Missodian Marshall every week. You can tune in and find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on our show, you can submit the idea to startupradio.com or again, contact us through Instagram. Until next time, bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisherfolk, and ranchers, by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.